Of course, now I am too old to be much of a fisherman. And now, of course, I usually fish the big waters alone. Although some friends think I shouldn't, like many fly fishermen in western Montana, where the summer days are almost arctic in length, I often do not start fishing until the cool of the evening. Then, in the arctic half-light of the canyon, all existence fades to a being with my soul and memories and the sounds of the big black river and a four-count rhythm and the hope that a fish will arise. Eventually, all things merge into one and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are the words, and some of the words are theirs. I am haunted by these waters. Thank you for listening to the Only You podcast, and this is your host, Lo Jackson. Again, this is August. It's a rainy day here in Charleston, Illinois, and it is beautiful out. Thank you for tuning in to the month of Mr. Ralph Waldo Emerson. That's our author this month, and I'm excited to read this next read. It's going to be called Self-Reliance. He has done a lot of different essays, and I love his essays because his words and wordage are just so amazing. I, I find him to be very interesting in his writings too and his perspectives are kind of interesting just like last month's author Harriet Beecher Stowe she was so intricate in the words she chose to describe different things but wow is Ralph Waldo Emerson ever right there with her and they all lived at the same time and knew each other and were trying to understand the craziness of the times and it's kind of wild because I have done several different books in this podcast that I've shared with you. I've done um, great reads such as, um, you know, Surrounded by Idiots. That was one of the first ones I had done. I've done um, Games People Play by um, uh, Eric Smith. Or no, uh, Eric Byrne, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I've done so many different ones, and I and I hopefully you've checked them out. And I've done one called Animal Farm by George Orwell, and that is a really interesting read. I actually just came across some new information that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is putting out that his people had investigated um, a guy named um, Wendell Murphy, and he was Wendell Murphy was a farmer in North Carolina. He actually. Um, worked his way up to become a state senator and he actually in his sitting time as a senator passed 28 different laws that literally made it impossible to sue um, pretty much like food manufacturing facilities in North Carolina so what Wendell did after he passed those laws he actually um, passed those laws to help a company called Smithfield and Smithfield is a Chinese agricultural company that you're, um, not long ago, I had also read this, you guys, and I find this very interesting, um, and I don't exactly remember where I read this at, but I hadn't forgotten. I want to share it with you because I find it very odd and kind of interesting. So um, Wendell Murphy um, finishes his you know, Senate thing, he retires from the Senate, and then he instantly goes to work for Smithfield. He then um, literally, overnight, while he was a senator as well, he passed a law that took pork bellies from 28 cents and made them two cents, which put every pig farmer in North Carolina out of business. And then Smithfield, the Chinese company, literally took over and they started making these pigs called Murphy 1100s. This is wild. Look it up. RFK Jr. put this out. And I found it to be odd. No, not odd, but interesting because I also had read somewhere within like the last 10 years that um, SARS back in 2004 was actually started in North Carolina and then shipped accidentally to China. And that's how the SARS outbreak started. But doesn't it make sense? Smithfield, and they literally, there are no more, um, like, 
individual hog farmers in North Carolina. And unfortunately, Iowa was forced to follow precedent with North Carolina. And so now they're literally growing pretty much genetically made pigs called Murphy 1100s. And you're eating that stuff at your um, local market. And it's alarming because they have literally crippled the economy in North Carolina to get themselves rich. And if you guys don't know this, um, the Chinese have bought up 17,000 farms in Illinois in the last uh, three years. They bought up 25,000 farms in Arizona in the last three years. I think they've only bought like one farm in New Mexico. And they've literally, but those were the biggest, highest numbers was Illinois and Arizona, but there's still other states where they bought up thousands of farms, like, and another one's North Carolina. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. And sorry, I didn't mean to get off on that tangent. I just wanted to share that little bit of information with you since I've seen uh, uh, Animal Farm by uh, Orwell. I thought that uh, that was kind of interesting, but hopefully you've enjoyed some of my podcasts and maybe you haven't, but today I'm going to be doing Self-Reliance by our wonderful author this month, which is Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it is um, Worldwide Cancer Research Month here at the Only You Podcast, so if you want to donate to Worldwide Cancer um, Research Fund, you can go back and find the link on last week's podcast. It's actually right there for you to click on and you can donate money to the Worldwide Cancer Research Foundation and thank you guys again for all your support I do appreciate you thank you for my five-star review whoever gave it to me I do appreciate it Um, even though I did send you that hundred dollars you know I appreciate it (laughs) totally kidding but um, thanks again and hopefully you enjoy self-reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson Feed a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Fishing should be the first self-reliant tool a man learns in his life. Emerson focuses on four arenas in which self-reliant individuals are needed. Religion, which fears creativity. Um, Culture, devalues individualism. The arts which teach us only to imitate, and my favorite, society, which falsely values so-called progress, and that's what they do. Self-reliance. Man is his own star and the soul that can render an honest and a perfect man. Commands all light, all influence, all fate. Nothing to him falls early or too late. Our acts, our angels are, or good or ill, our fatal shadows that walk by us still. Cast the banting on the rocks, suckle him with the she-wolf's teat, wintered with the hawk and fox. Power and speed be hands and feet. I read the other day some verses written by an eminent painter which were original and not conventional. The soul always hears an admission in such lines. Let the subject by what it may. The sentiment they instill is of more value than any thought they may contain. To believe your own thought, to believe that what is true, you in your private heart is true. For all men, that is genius. Speak your latent conviction, and it shall be universal sense. For the inmost in due time becomes the outmost. Our first thought is rendered back to us by the trumpets of the last judgment. Familiar as the voice of the mind is to each. The highest merit we ascribe to Moses, Plato, and Milton is that they set a naught books and traditions and spoke not what men, but what they thought. A man should learn to detect and watch them gleam of light which flashes across his mind from within. 
more than the luster of the firmament of bards and sagas. Yet he dismisses without notice his thought because it is his. In every work of genius, we recognize our own reject thoughts. They come back to us with a certain alienated majesty. Great works of art have no more affecting lesson for us than this. They teach us to abide by our spontaneous impression with good humor and flexibility than most when the whole cry of voices is on the other side. Else tomorrow a stranger will say with masterly good sense precisely what we have thought and felt all the time. And we shall be forced to take with shame our own opinion from another. There is a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that envy is ignorance, that imitation is suicide, that he must take himself for better, for worse, as his portion, that though the wide universe is full of good, no kernel of nourishing corn can come to him but through his toil bestowed on the plot of ground which is given to him to till. The power which resides in him is new in nature and none but he knows what that is which he can do nor does he know until he has tried. Not for nothing one face, one character, one fact makes much impression on him and another none. This sculpture and the memory is not without pre-established harmony. The eye was placed where one ray should fall that it might testify of that particular ray. We but half express ourselves and are ashamed of the divine idea which each of us represents. It may be safely trusted as proportionate and of good issues. So it be faithfully imparted, but God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. A man is relieved and gay when he has put his heart into his work and done his best. But what he has said or done otherwise shall give him no peace. It is a deliverance which does not deliver. In the attempt, his genius deserts him. No muse befriends him. No intention, no hope. Trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to the iron string. Accept the place the divine providence has found for you, the society of your contemporaries, the connection of events. Great men have always done so and confided themselves childlike to the genius of their age, betraying their perception that the absolutely trustworthy was seated at their heart, working through their hands, predominating in all their being. And we are now men and must accept in the highest mind the same transcendent destiny. And not minors and invalids in the protected corner with cowards fleeing before a revolution, but guides redeemers and benefactors obeying the almighty effort and advancing on chaos and the dark. What pretty oracles nature yields us on this text and the face and behavior of children, babies, and even brutes. That divided and rebel mind that distrust of a sentiment because our, our arithmetic has computed the strength and means opposed to our purpose. Remember last week's podcast about our purpose? I know what you're working towards. These have not. Their mind being whole, their eye as yet unconquered, 
And when we look in their faces, we are disconcerted. Infancy conforms to nobody. All conform to it, so that one babe commonly makes four or five out of the adults who prattle and play to it. So God has armed youth and puberty and manhood no less with its own pequancy and charm. Pequancy actually means the fact or quality of being pleasantly strong, sharp, or tart in taste and flavor and charm and made it evitable and gracious and its claims not to be put by. If it will stand by itself, do not think the youth has no force because he cannot speak to you and me. Hark! In the next room, his voice is sufficiently clear and empathetic. It seems he knows how to speak to his contemporaries, bashful or bold. Then he will know how to make us seniors very unnecessary, which if you look around you right now, you see that going on with millennials and some Gen Zs too. The nonchalance of boys who are sure of a dinner and would disdain as much as a lord to do or say ought to conciliate one is healthy attitude of human nature. A boy is in the parlor what the pit is in the playhouse, independent, irresponsible, looking out from his corner on such people and facts as pass by, he tries and sentences them on their merits in the swift summary way of boys as good, bad, interesting, silly, eloquent, troublesome. He cumbers himself never about consequences, about interest. He gives an independent, genuine verdict. You must court him. He does not court you, but the man is, as it were, clapped into jail by his consciousness. As soon as he has once acted or spoken with eloquent, he is a committed person, watched by the sympathy or the hatred of hundreds, whose affections must now enter into his account. There is no lathe for this, that he could pass again into his neutrality. Who can thus avoid all pledges and having observed, observed again, from the same unaffected, unbiased, unbridable, unafraidable innocence must always be formidable. He would utter opinions on all passing affairs, which being seen to be not private but necessary would sink like darts into the ear of men and put them in fear. These are the voices which we hear in solitude, but they grow faint and inaudible as we enter into the world. Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. Society is a joint stock company in which the members agree for the better securing of his bread to each shareholder to surrender the liberty and culture of the eater. The virtue is most request is conformity. Self-reliance is its aversion. It loves not realities and creators, but names and customs. Whoso would be a man must be a non-conformist. He who would gather immortal palms must not be hindered by the name of goodness, but must explore if it be goodness. Nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your own damn mind. Absolve you to yourself, and you shall have the suffrage of the world. I remember an answer which when quite young I was prompted to make a valued advisor whose was wont to importune me with the dear old doctrines of the church on my way saying what I have to do with the sacredness of traditions. 
If I live wholly from within, my friend suggested, but these impulses may be from below, not from above. I replied, they do not seem to me to be such. But if I am the devil's child, I will live then from the devil. No law can be sacred to me but that of my nature. Good and, yes, bad, are but names very readily transferable to that or this. The only right is what is after my constitution, the only wrong what is against it. A man is to carry himself in the presence of all opposition as if everything were and is but he. I am ashamed to think how easily we captulated to badges and names, to large societies and dead institutions. Every dissent and well-spoken individual affects and sways me more than is right. I ought to go upright and vital and speak the rude truth in all ways. If malice and vanity wear the coat of philanthropy, shall that pass? Hmm. If an angry bigot assumes this bountiful case of Abalaton and comes to me with his last news, I had to look up what a balaton means, the act of officially ending or stopping something. That's what a balaton is. And come to me with his last news from Barbados. Why should I not say to him, go love thy infant, love thy woodchopper, be good natured and modest. Have that grace and never varnish your hard, uncharitable ambition. I love afar a spite at home, rough and graceless, would be such greeting, but truth is, handsomer than the affection of love, your goodness must have some edge to it, else it is none. The doctrine of hatred must be preached as the counter-reaction of the doctrine of love, when that pulls and whines, I shun father and mother and wife and brother. When my genius calls me, I could write on the lintels of the doorpost whim. I hope it is somewhat better than whim at least, but cannot spend the day in explanation. Expect me not to show, cause why I seek or why I exclude company. Then again, do not tell me, as a good man did today, of my obligation to put all poor men in good situations. Are they my poor? I tell thee, thou foolish philanthropist, that I grudge the dollar, the dime, the cent I give to such men as do not belong to me and to whom I do not belong. There is a class of persons to whom, by all spiritual affinity, I am bought and sold. For them I will go to prison, if need be. But your miscellaneous popular charities, the education of college of fools, the building of meeting houses to the vain end to which many now stand, alms to sots, and the thousandfold relief so societies, Thou, I confess with shame, I sometimes succumb and give the dollar. It is a wicked dollar which, by and by, I shall have the manhood to withhold. Virtues are, in the popular estimate, rather the exception than the rule. There is the man and his virtues. Men do what is called a good action, as some piece of courage or charity, much as they would pay fine and expiration of daily non-appearance on parade. Their works are done as an apology or extonation of their living in the world, as invalids, invalids, sorry, and the same pay a high board. Their virtues are penance, 
penances. Penances means, or penance is any act or a set of actions done out of repentance for sins. Just thought I would tell you that. I do not wish to expate, but to live. My life is for itself and not for a spectacle. I much prefer that it should be of a lower strain, so it be genuine and equal, than that it should be glittering and unsteady. I wish it to be sound and sweet, and not to diet or not to need diet and bleeding. I ask primarily evidence that. You are a man and refuse this appeal from the man of his actions. I know that myself, it makes no difference whether I do or forbear those actions, which are reckoned excellent. I cannot consent to pay for a privilege where I have intricate right, few and mean as my gifts may be, I actually am and do not need for my own assurance or the assurance of my fellows any secondary testimony. What I must do is all that concerns me, not what the people think. This rule equally audacious in actual and in inactual life may serve for the whole distinction between greatness and meanness. It is the harder, because you will always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it. It is easy in the world to live after the world's opinion. It is easy in solitude to live after our own. But the great man is he who is in the midst of the crowd, keeps with perfect sweetness the independence of solitude. The objection to conforming to usages that have become dead to you is that it scatters your force, it loses your time and blurs the impression of your character. If you maintain a dead church, contribute to a dead Bible society, vote with a great party either for the government or against it, spread your table like the base housekeepers. Under all these screens, I have difficulty to detect precise man you are. And, of course, so much force is withdrawn from your proper life. But do your work, and I shall know you. Do your work, and I shall reinforce yourself. A man must consider what a blind man's buff is this game of conformity. If I know your sect, I anticipate your argument. I hear a preacher announce for his text and topic the expendency of one of institutions of his church. Do I not know beforehand that not possibly can he say a new and spontaneous word? Do I not know that with all this ostentation of examining the grounds of the institution, he will do no such thing. Do I not know that he is pledged to himself not to look but at one side, the permitted side, not as a man, but as a parish minister? He is a retained attorney, and these heirs of the bench are the emptiest affection well, most men have bound their eyes with one or another handkerchief and attracted themselves to some one of these communities of opinion. The conformity make them not false in a few particulars, authors of a few lies, but false in all particulars. Their every truth is not quite true. Their two is not the real two. Their four is not the real four. So that every word they say chargons us, and we know not where to begin to set them right. Meantime, nature is not slow to equip us, and the prison uniform of the party to which we adhere. We come to wear one cut of face 
and figure, and acquire by degrees the gentlest assign expression. There is a mortifying experience in particular which does not fail to wreck itself. Also, in the general history, I mean the foolish face of praise, the forced smile which we put in company where we do not feel at ease in answer to conversation which does not interest us, the muscles not spontaneously unsurping willfulness grow tight around the outline of the face with the most disagreeable sensation. For nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure, and therefore a man must know how to estimate a sour face. The bystanders look on him in the public street or in the friend's parlor. If this adversation had its origin in contempt and resistance like his own, he might well go home with a sad contentness. But the sour faces of the multitude, like their sweet faces, have no deep cause but are put on and off as the wind blows and a newspaper directs. So not much has changed since, you know, around the late 1800s till now, really, because people are the same. Yet it is the discontent of the multitude more formidable. And I don't know if you guys know what formidable means. It's actually formidable. It means like inspiring fear, aura, respect through being like utterly very impressive. So yet is the discontent of the multitude more formidable than that of the Senate and the college. It is easy enough for a firm man who knows the world to brook the rage of the cultivated classes. Their rage is decorous and prudent for they are timid as being very vulnerable themselves. But when to their feminine rage, the indignation of the people is added when the ignorant and the poor are aroused. When the unintelligent brute force that lies at the bottom of the society is made to growl and moan, it needs the habit of magnanimity and religion to treat it godlike as a trifle of no concernment. Hopefully you all are enjoying Ralph Waldo Emerson in the month of August. This is World Cancer um, Support Month, and if you did want to donate, I said earlier the links at my last podcast from last week, Life of Emerson, and you can just click on it, and then you can donate on their website. And I had already told you guys about teaching someone how to fish and feeding them for a day, and that should be, you know, the first thing a man and a woman learn is because you have to be self-reliant to feed yourself. But if no one teaches you those things, how are you going to learn to grow and change and adapt, you know? And we don't have, some of us lack principles to, you know, be able to grow and to change, and nobody teaches us those things. But the, there's one thing that's called a, uh, a personality ethic, and not a lot of people are aware of it. It's like it has massive appeal to some, you know. It, uh, there, it, it acts like there is some quick and easy way to achieve quality life personal effectiveness and rich deep relationships with other people without going through the natural process of work and growth that makes that possible it's simple without substance it's the get rich quick scheme you know promising wealth without work but 
it might even appear to to succeed, but the schemer remains. Honestly, the personality ethic is illusion. It's like a yeah, it's an illusion, and it can be deceptive. And trying to get high quality results with its techniques and uh, quick fixes is just about as effective as trying to get someplace in Chicago using a map of uh, Detroit. In the words of E. Rich Fromm, an astute observer of the roots and fruits of the personality ethic, today we come across an individual who behaves like an automaton who does not know or understand himself and the only person that he knows is the person that he is supposed to be whose meaningless chatter has replaced communicative speech whose synthetic smile has replaced genuine laughter and whose sense of dull despair has taken the place of genuine pain two statements may be said concerning this individual. One is that he suffers from defects of spontaneity, an individuality which may seem to be incurable. At the same time, it may be said of him. He does not differ essentially from the millions of the rest of us who wake up on this earth. In all life, there are sequential stages of growth and development. A child learns to turn over, to sit up, to crawl, and to walk, and to run. Each step is important, and each one takes time. No step can be skipped. You guys, this is all true in phases of life, in all areas of development, whether it be learning to play the piano, communi- like to communicate effectively with working as- like work associates, It is true with individuals, with marriages, with families, and with organizations. We we know and accept this fact or principles of processes in the area of physical things, but to understand it in emotional areas and human relations, and even in the area of personal character, is less common and more difficult. And even if we understand it, to accept it and to live in harmony with it are even less common and more difficult. Consequently, we sometimes look for a shortcut expecting to be able to skip some of these vital steps in order to save time and effort and still reap the desired results. Um, And remember, this has to do with change and growth. Uh, But what happens when we attempt to shortcut natural processes in our growth and development, you know, do you know what happens? Do you ever think about that when you, you know, shortchange yourself? If you you are only an average... uh, you know, player on a team and you decide to play at a higher level in order to make a better impression, you know, what would be the result? Uh, it would probably be a positive, positive one, you know? Would positive thinking alone enable you to compete effectively against a professional? Probably not. Maybe a little bit. I, I don't know. Well, what if you were to lead your friends to believe you could play the piano at concert hall uh, level while your actually present skill was that of a beginner. Many people do this stuff, you guys. Uh, the answers are obvious. It's simple, impossible to violate, ignore, or shortcut this development process. It is contrary to nature and attempting to seek such a shortcut only results in disappointment and frustration. On a 10-point scale, if I am at level 2 in any field um, and desire to move to level 5, I must pretty much first take the step towards level 3. A thousand-mile journey begins with the first step. And that's actually in recovery, too, if you're having addiction problems, you know. The first step is actually the hardest step to take, and that's admitting you've got a problem. If you don't let a teacher, like, you know, teaching somebody to fish, if you don't let a teacher know uh, what level you are by asking a question or revealing your ignorance, you will not learn or grow. You cannot pretend for long, for 
you know, eventually it will be found out. Admission of ignorance is often the first step in education. Thorough th uh, taught, <clears throat> remember Thorough? He was uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's best friend. So he taught, how can we remember our ignorance, which our growth requires when we are using our knowledge all the time? I can recall one occasion when two women, daughters of a friend of mine, came to me tearfully, complaining about their father's harshness and lack of understanding. They were afraid to open up with their parents for fear of the consequences, and yet they desperately needed their parents' love, understanding, and guidance. So I talked with the father and found that he was actually aware of what was happening, but while he admitted he had a temper problem, he refused to take responsibility for it. And a lot of men have that problem because they want to uh, minimize their anger because they don't understand why they're angry. You know? And you know what? It's a proven fact that some men's anger is hereditary. And the more angry like a man gets... His other men in his family can become dually as angry as him. And sometimes some family men are explosive towards each other in fighting aspects and things. And so, like, you know, it is more than uh, his pride to swallow to take, you know, the first step to change. And that goes with any man or woman out there. You know, to relate effectively, like, with a wife or um, a husband, children, friends, or working associates... You know, the first thing you got to learn to do is listen. If you don't know how to listen, that is the biggest key in communication. By the time you're 40, you should realize that silence is the most powerful tool that you can ever learn to possess. It, to relate to people, you, you know, you got to learn to listen to them. And this requires emotional strength, because and not a lot of us are taught emotional strength. Listening involves patience, openness, and the desire to understand. Highly developed qualities, like in character. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. I do appreciate it, and sometimes I get off on little tangents. And I love growth and change, but I love teaching, and I think that we should go into every aspect of our lives as a student and a teacher because. We can learn a lot from our dogs. Did you know that? There's a book out there like that. I tell you, when I read the cover of that book, I have a pit bull, and she is so wonderful. Like, she is one of my best friends. She acts like a little princess. I got her in the desert. Um, I actually rescued her. She had burns all over her back, and she was a bait dog. She is highly vicious to any other animal, but loves, loves people. And... I read the cover of that book and I started to really think, man, I should read that book. So I kind of dove into that book and man, did that guy really touch me with change and growth and how his mind really changed the neural pathways and the neuroplasticity and like the, the, the neurochemical um, transformation in his brain by realizing that, you know, when your dog looks at you and takes off or, you know, kind of like cowers, it isn't just because they think you're going to do something to them. That isn't why a dog cowers. You know, there's many different things that can cause a dog to cower. And some, if you don't know anything about dogs, you need to get a dog book and check it out. You can learn a lot from dogs. And you can relate those things to people too. And that's a part of change, growth, and development. And so, like, I, I tell you guys, reading is so important. Books are so important. All these things are so important. And... It has to do with teaching, growth, and change. And once we learn to be a service of, to other people around us, instead of such a nuisance or a uh, unkind person, because everybody is unkind anymore. I mean, everybody wants to be right, and everybody wants to go crazy and do their own thing and act all wild in America. And it's kind of getting annoying. It's like, I feel like they took the American dream and gave it to everybody outside of America. And people that were born here, now we're just here for like natural born taxes and to tax us and to, 
It's pretty interesting, and I feel that way sometimes, and I'm sure you do too. And those people that are listening in different parts of the world, I love you guys too. Please share me out there. I want to know that I'm being heard, and I'm not against other countries. I love other cultures. I love other people. I love learning their foods, their religions, their talents, the wonderful, talented people in their cultures. I've done podcasts on Mahatma Gandhi. Can you believe that? All the things that Mahatma Gandhi did over there, he was a blessing to them people. And many people to this day, even Nelson Mandela looked up to Mahatma Gandhi. And, you know, there's so many different cultures out there that have so much to offer. I don't have any bias against any culture or any kind of different types of people. I do worry about the sovereignty of other countries because it is a blessing to have our differences in the world. Not to be so much competitive and hateful, but as people, as beauty, as food lovers, as beer lovers, as wine lovers, as cheese lovers, as animal lovers, you know, we got to learn to come together. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, and I'm about bringing people together. I'm about reading books, educating, and finding different ways to communicate and understanding that... Everything happens for a reason in life and that we have a general purpose here and we got to figure out what that is together and sometimes it takes putting down our pride and picking up the torch of love to help us realize because in reality, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. had it dead right. Love cures everything. You, you can heal anything with love. Even when you hate something so much, if you forced yourself to love that thing that you felt you hated so much, you would come to realize the hate and love go hand in hand, and they're omnipresent, omnipotent, and it, everything is going together, and it's all part of the same energy. It depends on what you allow your mind to lead you to in your lifetime, and what you choose to put inside that mind and make your own little imprint on this beautiful world of ours. And thank you for listening to the Only You Podcast. This is your boy, Lo Jackson. Now back to Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And hopefully self-reliance has actually taught you some key tools in growth, change, teaching. And remember the fishing story because that's important. Self-reliance and being self-sufficient is the most important thing you can do for yourself on the planet. The other terror that scares us from self-trust is our consistency, a reverence for our past act or word because the eye of others have no other data for computing our orbit than our past acts. And we are loath to disappoint them. But why should you keep your head over your shoulder? Why drag this corpse of your memory lest you contradict somewhat? You have stated in this or that public place. Suppose you should contradict yourself. What then? It seems to be a rule of wisdom, never to rely on your memory alone, scarcely even acts of pure memory, but to bring the past for judgment and to the thousand-eyed present and live ever in a new day. In your metaphysics, you have denied personality to the deity. Yet when the devout motions of the soul come yield to them heart and life, though they should clothe God with shape and color, leave your theory as Joseph his coat and the hand of the harlot and flee. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines with consistency a great soul has simply nothing to do. He may as well concern himself with a shadow on the wall. Speak what you think, now in hard times, and tomorrow speak what tomorrow thinks, in hard words again, though it contradict everything you said today. Ah, so you shall be sure to be misunderstood. 
It is so bad then to be misunderstood. Pythagoras was misunderstood, and Socrates, and Jesus, and Luther, and Copernicus, and Galileo, and Newton, and every pure and wise spirit that ever took flesh. To be great is to be misunderstood. I suppose no man can violate his nature. All the sallies of his will are rounded in by the law of his being, as the inequalities of Andes and the Himalayas are insignificant in the curve of the sphere. Nor does it matter how you gauge and try him. A character is like an aristocrat, <clears throat> excuse me, an aristocrat or Alexandrian. Read it forward, backward, and across. It still spells the same thing. In this pleasing, contrite wood life, which God allows me, let me record day by day my honest thought without prospect or retrospect, and cannot doubt it will be found symmetrical, though I mean it not and see it not. My book should smell of pines and resound with the hum of insects. The swallow over my window should interweave that thread or straw he carries in his bill into my web also. We pass for what we are, character teaches above our wills. Men imagine that they commu communicate their virtue or vice only by overt actions and do not see that virtue or vice emit a breath every single moment there will be an agreement in whatever variety of actions so that they be each honest and natural in their hour for of one will the actions will be harmonious however unlike they seem these varieties are lost sight of at a little distance at a little height of thought one tendency unites them all the voyage of the best ship is zigzag line of a hundred tacks. See the line from a sufficient distance and it straightens itself to the average tendency. Your genuine action will explain itself and will explain your other genuine actions. Your conformity explains nothing. Act singly and what you have already done singly will justify you now. Greatness appears to the future. If I can be firm enough today to do right and scorn eyes, I must have done so much right before as to defend me now. Be it how it will, do right now. Always scorn appearances and you always may. The force of character is cumulative. All the foregone days of virtue work their health into this. What makes the majesty of the heroes of the Senate and the field, which so fills the imagination, the consciousness of a train of great days and victories behind? They shed in united light the advancing actor. He is attended as by a visible escort of angels, that is it, which throws thunder into Chatham's voice and dignity into Washington's port and America into Adam's eye. Honor is vulnerable to us because it is no infamous. It is always ancient virtue. We worship it today because it is not of today. We love it and pay it homage because it is not a trap for our love and homage, but it is self-dependent, self-derived, and therefore of an old immaculate pedigree, even if shown in a young person. I hope in these days we have heard the last of conformity and consistency. Let the words of gazetted and ridiculous henceforward. Instead of the gong of dinner, let us hear a whistle from the Spartan fife. Let us never bow and apologize more. A great man is coming to eat at my house. I do not wish to please him. I wish that he should wish to please me. I will stand here for humanity, and though I would make it kind, I would make it true. Let us affront and reprimand the smooth mediocrity and squilled 
contentment of the times and hurling the face of custom and trade and office, the fact which is the upshot of all history, and that there is a great responsible thinker and actor working wherever a man works, that a true man belongs to no other time or place, but is the center of things. Where he is, there is nature. He measures you and all men and all events. Ordinarily, everybody in society reminds us of somewhat else or of some other person. Character, reality reminds you of nothing else. It takes place of the whole creation. The man must be so much that he must make all circumstances indifferent. Every true man is a cause. A country and an age requires infinite spaces and numbers. A time fully to accomplish his design and posterity seem to follow his steps as a train of clients. A man Caesar is born and for ages after we have a Roman Empire. Christ is born and millions of minds so grow and cleave to his genius that he is confounded with virtue and the possible of man. An institution is the lengthened shadow of one man as monarchism, reformation of Luther, Quakerism of Fox, Methodism of Wesley, abolition of Clarkson, and all history resolves itself very easily into the biography of a few stout and earnest persons. Let a man then know his worth and keep things under his feet. Let him not peep or steal or sulk and down with the air of charity boy, a bastard or an interlooper in the world which exists for him. But the man in the street, finding no worth in himself, which corresponds to the force which built a tower or sculpted a marble god, feels poor when he looks on those. And now at last, the highest truth on this subject remains unsaid. Probably cannot be said, for all that we say is the far-off remembering of the institution. That thought by what I can now nearest approach to say it, is this. <clears throat> when good is near you, when you have life in yourself, it is not by any known or accustomed way. You shall not discern the footprints of any other. You shall not see the face of man. You shall not hear any name. The way the thought, the good, shall be wholly strange and new. It shall exclude example and experience. You take the way from man, not to man. All persons that ever existed are its forgotten ministers. Fear and hope are alike beneath it. There is somewhat low even in hope. In the hour of vision there is nothing that can be called gratitude nor properly joy. The soul raised over passion beholds identity and eternal causation perceives the self-existence of truth and right and calms itself with knowing that all things go well. Vast spaces of nature, the Atlantic Ocean, the South Sea, long intervals of time, years, centuries are of no account. This which I think and feel underlay every former state of life and circumstances as it does underlie my present and what is called life and what is called death. Life only avails not the having lived. Power ceases in the instant of repose. It resides in the moment of transition from a past to a new state and the shooting of the gulf and the darting to an aim. This one fact, the world hates that the soul becomes for that forever degrades the past, turns all riches to poverty, all reputation to shame, 
confounds the saint with the rogue, shoves Jesus and Judas equally aside, why then do we prate of self-reliance? Question mark. Inasmuch as the soul is present, there will be power, not confident, but agent. To talk of reliance is a poor external way of speaking. Speak rather of that which relies, because it works and is. Who has more obedience than I masters me? Though he should not raise his finger, round him I must resolve by the gravitation of spirits. We fancy it rhetoric when we speak of intimate virtues. We do not yet see the virtue is height, and that a man or a company of men plastic and permeable to principles by the law of nature must overpower and ride all cities, nations, kings, rich men, poets who are not. This is the ultimate fact which we so quickly reach on this as on every topic the resolution of all into the ever-blessed one. Self-existence is the attribute of supreme cause, and it constitutes the measure of good by the degree in which it enters into all lower forms. All things real are so by so much virtue as they contain. Commerce, husbandry, hunting, whaling, war, eloquence, personal weight are somewhat and engage my respect as examples of its presence and impure action. I see the same law working in nature for conservation and growth. Power is in nature, the essential measure of right. Nature suffers nothing to remain in her kingdoms which cannot help itself. The, gen the genesis and maturation of a planet, its poise and orbit, the blended tree recovering itself from the strong wind of virtue, re Sources of every animal and vegetable are demonstrations of the self-sacrificing and therefore self-relying soul. Thus all concentrations, let us not rove, let us sit at home with the cause, let us stun and astonish the intruding rabble of men and books and institutions by a simple declaration of divine fact the bit of invaders take the shoe off their feet the god is here within let our simplicity judge them and our docility of our own law demonstrate the poverty of nature and fortune beside our native riches but now we are a mob man does not stand in awe of man nor is his genius admonished to stay at home to put itself in communication with the internal ocean but it goes abroad to beg a cup of water of the urns of other men there is a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that envy is ignorance that imitation is suicide that he must take himself for better for worse, as he portion, that though the wide universe is full of good, no kernel of nourishing corn can come to him, but through his toil bestowed on the plot of ground which is given to him to till. The power which resides in him is new in nature, and none but he knows what that is which he can do, nor does he know until he has tried. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. Hopefully you have enjoyed Self-Reliance by August author Ralph Waldo Emerson. This has been a wonderful experience. I think this book is definitely one of the greatest ones I've read so far. It has many different aspects that it can teach you. Like when he talks about realizing the light inside of yourself. That's the moment... You realize what excites you is the moment you realize what you're supposed to be doing in your life and what your purpose is. He has many different other sayings in this book that really hit home to me as well. And hopefully they hit home to you too because they're very important. Like be yourself, not based imitator of another, but your best self. 
there is something which you can do better than another. So remember that stuff and go out into the world and do something good with yourself. Be self-reliant. Learn to build and grow. Be self-sufficient. And you're the only person in the world that's ever gone to bed with you and known all your ailments every single night that you worry or wonder and wait. That was you there nurturing, caring, and being self-reliant. Remember that. You can be a hard worker, but once you realize that you get way more out of life when you work hard upon yourself, things in your life will take a major turn. Jim Rohn taught me that. Check it out. When he learned that, his whole entire life turned into the biggest fortune he could ever dream of. Tune in next time for another great Ralph Waldo Emerson read. I'm your boy, Lo Jackson, and this is the Only You Podcast. Signing off. Say la vie.